You are listening to National Security Law Today. Welcome to National Security Law Today, the podcast from the American Bar Association Standing Committee on Law and National Security. I am Nicole, one of your moderators and a member of the committee staff. All of our participants here today are national security attorneys speaking as individuals and not on behalf of their agencies or firms. You can find more about the Standing Committee online or join our listserv at AmericanBar.org slash NatSecurity. And I'm Yvette, another one of your moderators. This podcast will discuss national security issues in the news and provide critical baseline information about the issues for new lawyers and lawyers that have been practicing national security law for years. And I'm Elisa, another one of your moderators. The ABA Standing Committee is comprised of seasoned national security lawyers and law professors. The committee has spent the past 55 years keeping lawyers and the public aware of the most pressing questions in national security law. Join us at one of our monthly speaker programs or at our annual conference. You'll hear more about what's happening today and what will happen tomorrow on these important issues. We will deliver sober, well-reflected, unbiased updates on the hottest topics in the world of national security law. And always topical and interesting to the NatSec nerds out there. That would be us. In fact, I've been thinking about a jingle, which is, hey, we're super nerdy. (laughs) Come and listen to our podcast. It definitely applies. All right. So during the podcast, you can find links to the Black Letter Law and articles on today's podcast at AmericanBar.org forward slash NatSecurity and in the notes to this podcast. In addition, you can find links to other books, learned treatises, and academic articles on today's topics on our website. At the end of the podcast, please drop us a note at nationalsecurity at AmericanBar.org or on Twitter at ABA NatSec. We welcome your feedback. So, today, we're going to be continuing our series on the intersection between national security law and technology. We're super excited to welcome to the podcast Marine Lieutenant Colonel Alan Schuler, an Associate Director of the Stockton Center for the Study of International Law at the U.S. Naval War College. Welcome. Thank you. It's a privilege to be here. So, Alan, you are our second, but hopefully not last, Marine to join us on the podcast. You had uh, Lindsay Rodman on here before, right? Yes. She's fantastic. She is. We I have big love shoes her. to fill. <laughs> Um, I'd like to give our listeners the highlights of your career. Uh, you served as an artillery officer before you earned your JD from the University of Nebraska and your LLM in National Security Law from Georgetown. You've completed three deployments as a staff judge advocate, that's senior military legal advisor for all you civilians out there, supporting U.S. Africa Command, AFRICOM, and U.S. Central Command in Afghanistan and elsewhere. You're a fellow at the Georgetown Center on National Security and the Law, and your article on anticipatory self-defense under the law of armed conflict was published in the UCLA Journal of International Law and Foreign Affairs. More relevant to this show, you recently completed the first phase of a long-term research project at the Stockton Center on Autonomous Weapon Systems, and the findings were published in an article on artificial intelligence and international humanitarian law in Harvard Law School's National Security Journal. We'll link to both articles in the show notes. Yeah, I'm particularly interested in any feedback uh, folks have on those uh papers. My uh, email address is on the War College website, so please give me a shout. So it would be really useful to get a baseline here, help our listeners get acquainted with some of the terminology. So first of all, what is artificial intelligence? And I don't think we're just referring to arrogant people in Washington who are playing it off, but I'm referring to AI. And what are autonomous weapons systems? Right, so it's important to note first that AI is not a new concept. Pioneers in the field, such as mathematician Alan Turing, have sought to design intelligent machines for some time. 
the goal of AI is to create systems that are more advanced than simple deterministic devices. And deterministic means that if a machine uh, produces an output, it's doing their calculations like a flowchart. So for example, if I detect this condition, then I do this. And in the military context, think of a landmine. If a tank rolls over the mine, it explodes. Something else is detected, it does nothing. And so AI seeks to create more sophisticated machines. There's a lot of ways you could define AI, but an easy way to think about it is to describe the ways you're expecting it to be better than a simple deterministic system. One way would be to program it to process information more like a human. So our brains don't work like flowcharts. A neural network, for example, is a computer system designed to process information like the human brain, emphasizing or downplaying certain network connections in the ways that mimic the neurons in our brain. Another way to describe how AI would perform better is based solely on the outputs it produces. In other words, you don't really care how it arrives at a certain output, your only concern is with the quality of the output. By either definition, the standard by which we judge the sophistication of an AI could be based on whether it mimics human levels of performance or instead some objective standard. So for example, we might say that if we're going to be okay with a computer flying our 787 or driving our car, we want it to do a bit better than the average human. Humans are kind of crummy drivers. As a cyclist, I would agree with that point. <laughs> so to sum up, the way we define AI depends on whether we want machines that can think like humans, act like humans, think rationally, or act rationally. But this isn't science fiction. So when I say think, what we're really getting at here is computing, computer science, mathematics, and statistics. The reason why there's been so much buzz uh, these days about AI is because of the recent explosion in AI technology. The AI we have today was only dreamed of in the 1980s, and um, one thing this new AI is quite good at is processing massive amounts of data and arriving at outcomes faster than a human. We saw this with Watson on Jeopardy. AI is also really good at being unpredictable, and we saw this when a computer recently beat the best No Limit Texas Hold'em poker players. So in the military context, a weapon system that's able to sense and process more information than a human arrive at outcomes quicker than a person and be unpredictable to an enemy would provide an undeniable advantage on the battlefield. But such a system could also be quite concerning from a legal standpoint because we might not be able to ensure that it will comply with international humanitarian law. And can you tell us what international humanitarian law or IHL is? Sure. So IHL is the law of war. It's the body of international law that governs parties to an armed conflict and its principles are considered customary. The IHL principles are military necessity, distinction, proportionality, and preventing unnecessary suffering. And I'll paraphrase the requirements of these principles. So first off, military necessity means that a military may attack targets that are indispensable for defeating the enemy so long as they're not otherwise illegal. Second, distinction means that only military targets may be attacked and commanders must proactively determine if potential targets are civilians or combatants, and then attack only combatants. Third is proportionality, and this is a concept that balances unintentional harm to civilians and their property with the military advantage of attacking a target. So the collateral damage from an attack can't be clearly excessive in relation to the military advantage anticipated from the attack. 
And fourth and finally, the principle of unnecessary suffering prohibits the use of weapons that by their nature cause unnecessary suffering and also the use of lawful weapons in a manner that is intended to cause unnecessary suffering. So we've arrived at the crux of the podcast, which is the intersection between the technology you just described and international uh, humanitarian law, which you just paraphrased. So what are the controversies between these two? Well, to start out with, some of the concerns out there, quite frankly, are pure science fiction, that machines will become sentient beings, develop free will, and that this will be the end of the human race. So these fears are based out of an ignorance regarding how computers really work. The problem is that these discussions distract from the very real dilemmas we could face with increasing autonomy and weapons. And I'll highlight some key issues, but there are many more we won't have time to cover. So we start from the premise that ensuring compliance with the law is a human burden. It cannot be delegated to a machine. So suppose you argued in a criminal trial, Your Honor, my client is not guilty of negligent homicide because he simply turned on his Tesla and let it drive away without him. It's the machine's fault. A 1L would know you should have pled out instead. This argument won't work with a weapon system either, so a human must be responsible. All right, all you 1Ls out there, perk up and prepare your arguments. Wake up. (laughs) (laughs) So if compliance with IHL is a human burden that can't be delegated and machines can't be held responsible, the danger is really in designing machines that have such extensive authority and capabilities that we can't reasonably predict that they will comply with IHL. But the inquiry doesn't hinge on how much authority we delegate. Instead, exactly what combinations of authorities and capabilities we give these things. AI in many instances is highly unpredictable. So if we're going to employ an AI in a weapon, we need to be able to describe how we will ensure compliance with IHL. And if the AI can't be bounded somehow, a commander wouldn't be able to employ it in a way that she could ensure it would attack only legitimate targets, for example, or comply with the principle of proportionality. That's not to say, however, that all unpredictable AI and weapons is illegal. The system could be highly unpredictable and still be lawful, so long as we reasonably know what it's not going to do. For example, we don't know what route the autonomous tank will take, but we know it won't drive over civilians or through their homes. But keep in mind, machines don't decide to do anything in the human sense. They follow their programming. The goal of AI in the AWS context is to attain a rational objective standard of performance, regardless of the degree of autonomy. The question is, can we develop intelligent systems that will win on the battlefield, but still affect our intent? That is a very complicated question. Uh, Do you think you could talk a little bit about what's happening in the international community to try and resolve some of the issues with that question there? Well, the initial response when this debate heated up back in about 2012, kind of divided into two camps. Some of the NGOs who have called for a ban on AWS uh, argue essentially that these systems could never comply with IHL. It's, It's just not possible. And the other response was essentially, of course they could, we'll figure it out when we're building them. And neither of these positions is very satisfying because both assume far too much about what form AWS might take. So 
For the last few years, we've seen the debate maturing. Uh, we've had meetings of experts both at the CCW and the ICRC. Okay, just to pause to deacronize oh, right. for our right. audience. CCW is the Convention on Certain Conventional Weapons. Yes. And there is a meeting, there are a series of meetings every year, um, typically in Geneva. And the ICRC is the International Committee on the Red Cross. And they um, have a strong voice in um, moderating the debate between these two camps. Yes, and the most recent CCW meeting uh, just, just completed. So we'll see what, the, what they have to report back. Um, but there's been numerous discussions about this, workshops, presentations, all kinds of, uh, of debate and discussion, which is a good thing. Um, but in my view, the ban argument has really proven premature. So even if you accept that a ban might eventually be appropriate, the, the issue just isn't ripe for an international treaty at this point. But that's not to say we should just wait and see. I think we need strategies and policies to ensure we make wise decisions regarding the development of AWS if we do indeed to go down that road. Uh, and one of, one of the goals of my article was to help inform such strategies. Uh, and, and in addition, so as one of the leading weapons developers and, and also the most sophisticated legal reviewers of weapons systems in the world, uh, the U.S. is pretty well situated to lead the way in that regard. Ideally, that would take the form of a comprehensive national strategy on AI. When you say comprehensive strategy on AI, you mean a government-wide yes. strategy? Right, a whole-of-government approach that would feed, the, uh, for example, a DOD strategy. So. You have the DOD instruction on, on uh, autonomy and weapon systems now. It's a good start. It, uh, it really has done a lot to kind of spark the discussion. Um, but ideally, we don't want DOD operating on their own. We want a kind of a whole-of-government approach. Let me see if I can draw you out briefly uh, on this topic. Just uh, We do have somebody coming in to do the podcast in the future who is an expert on autonomous vehicles. I think one of the concerns is how a lot of autonomous items, not just vehicles, but almost anything you can imagine might end up uh, being something that really falls within DOD equities. So that sounds like a really, frankly, brilliant idea. I hope somebody out there develops uh, that thought that you've deposited here for our listeners. Um, we do like to pose a hypothetical to our guests. I just want you to imagine that you're a young attorney advising tech firms that want to build AWS for DOD without getting into some of the intricacies of things like the federal acquisitions regulations, classified <laughs> and the oh, oh I know right now your ears are hurting. Oh my Just God. forgive me, I'm going to move on. But what are some things you should say to your client when the, they're in the development stage if you were seated in that role? So the, the first thing that comes to mind is that um, – we need to do weapons reviews differently, and the DOD instruction that was published on this has recognized this. So the, this isn't a revelation, but it really recognized that um, these systems are different. They're not the types of things that we can uh, develop and then just kind of take a look at and kick the, the side of them to figure out if they're, they're going to be a lawful weapon. Um, so they need to undergo comprehensive legal review beginning at the conceptual phases. And the government has a duty, of course, pursuant to customary international law. Uh, other governments do it as a function of uh, uh, a review under additional protocol one uh, to conduct weapons reviews. And in the past, this happened later in the development of the weapon system. And that worked fine. Uh, but whatever form AWS take, it's safe to say that conducting a legal review will be far more complicated than, say, an artillery cannon or bomb. 
where you're simply testing kind of the accuracy of the system to ensure you can can employ it in a way that's dis discriminatory. And the developers are going to need advice from lawyers early and often on this on this process. This, the second message it, I would have is that a cursory knowledge of AI is just not going to be sufficient to provide advice or conduct an adequate review of AWS. And uh, that's often because the the technologists that work on these things are themselves sometimes unable to explain why a system did something that it did. Um, sometimes they can go back and uh, trace uh, afterwards why a system made a, a particular decision, and sometimes they can't. So that's enormously challenging. Uh, by way of comparison, the lawyers who conduct reviews of cyber weapons also need kind of fairly intimate knowledge of the way computer programs work in order for them to advise their commanders or developers on, on these types of systems. Um, so the same kind of technical insight will be true of AWS and perhaps even more so. Uh, lawyers that are at a tech firm are, are going to be able to not only satisfy, uh, need to not only satisfy their bosses that the system will comply with IHL, but also they're going to need to be able to translate this message for DOD and the, and the folks in government who are doing the weapons reviews. And we also try to get some general advice for law students or young lawyers who are interested in national security law. So if you were able to talk to one of them, what would you say? Well, it's kind of a no-brainer, and it applies in, in any kind of profession, but particularly so in national security law. Lawyers who, who are interested in getting into national security law need to network with other lawyers in the field. Network, say, through attending an ABA conference, for yeah, example. Yeah, that sounds like an outstanding <laughs> idea, or maybe one of the luncheons that you offer. Or just like each other on Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, but in particular, national security lawyers are often called upon to make uh, time-constrained decisions. There's a lot of pressure in, in certain situations and uh, often imperfect information. A lot of times there aren't many other lawyers around, uh, or you might be dealing with a situation that is... Uh, classified in a compartment such that you really aren't able to, to share it with your you know colleagues. Um, so there aren't uh, sometimes people to backstop you. So if an agency or firm is going to bring in a new lawyer, they'd really prefer to have a known entity over a kind of a cold resume. Um, the second piece of advice I would give uh, is that most national security law jobs are nonpartisan. Many professionals in this field have worked for Republican and Democratic administrations alike. Um, so don't make your decision to dive in based on who's in the office. I mean, we always need talented national security professionals. Here, here. Well said. So this was a super interesting topic that's not really broadly understood. So thanks for doing your part in educating us and our listeners on AI and how it intersects with international humanitarian law. We'll be looking forward to developments as the technology evolves, uh, as well as hopefully the law. So I wanted to ask you, as we do most of our guests, um, in addition to writing that government-wide AI policy you described, what else can Someone we expect from you in himself. the future? Right. Be careful what you're good at. So I'm, I'm working with the tech folks. I think it's going to be the focus. I mean, the first part of the, of the research we did we really made the rounds to everybody we could find who was working on this, from government attorneys all through uh, the executive branch to NGOs, tech folks. And I think what we've learned is that we need to get even deeper into the technology. So I'm focusing on working with tech folks and AI and machine learning in particular uh, to f develop the kind of general principles I described in my first article. And the goal there is to map in greater technical detail how IHL might overlay 
on machine learning and uh, autonomous weapons. So we would love to hear and post whatever additional products you might produce in the future. And we thank you so much for being here. Thank you very much. And thank you for listening to National Security Law Today, the podcast of the Standing Committee on Law and National Security at the ABA. So right now, if you're out there thinking about how much technology is changing the world and the law, and you're saying to yourself, I need a piece of that action, <laughs> then tune in next week for the next exciting, non-nerdy episode. Super National nerdy. Super Lies. Nerdy. Sorry. Super nerdy. Uh, National Security Law Today. And remember, listening to a podcast is informative. But social networking isn't really networking. Show up at one of our breakfasts or lunches or conferences. Find out more at AmericanBar.org forward slash NatSecurity. Or follow us on Twitter at ABA NatSec. And don't forget that every serious national security lawyer has one great book on their desk. The 2017 U.S. Intelligence Community Law Sourcebook. Available for purchase on our website. From all of us here, thank you for listening and we'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to National Security Law Today. Look for links to the Black Letter Laws and articles mentioned on our show today in the notes or on our website. You can also find us on Twitter at ABA NatSec.